2: What I love is Carolyn didn't realize that she was taking the wrong dose of these hormones for like the last week. <laughs> a few week days, or yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Just a few days. <laughs> so she's like, oh, I'm just so emotional on these hormones. <laughs> yeah. And then found out she's actually microdosing. Yeah. Like, so I was like, wow. oh, wow, let's get ready for
0: that real dose. I <laughs> know. <laughs> I know. Oh my gosh. I'm out, you're ducking out. Let's dike out together. See what it's all about.
3: Hi and welcome to Diking Out, a podcast that sees women as subjects and not objects, except for Mariska Hargitay. I'm Carolyn Bergier. and I'm Melody Kamali, and today we're diking out with writer, author, and critic Valerie Complex about the female gaze.
1: How you doing? What's up?
3: <laughs> we are so happy to have you here, Valerie. You guys can read Valerie's work all over the internet and a lot of big name publications. I don't know, name name a few. Uh, variety, yeah. Um, IGN, the nerdist,
1: uh, the Mary Sue. <laughs>
3: if you just Google Valerie the Complex, <laughs> so many things will come up, and they all are wonderful reads. A lot of them focus on uh, inclusion in film, television, and theater. And she's also a military veteran, which is yeah. cool. I was in the Air Force for seven years. Wow. Yep. Cool. Cool. I'm excited to hear more about your path to where you are right now. But first, a couple quick announcements. Our next show at Stonewall is Monday, March 30th. And on the lineup, we have past guests like Taylor Ortega, Sydney Washington, and Janine Garofalo. Yes. <laughs> Melody is excited because you haven't met Janine yet. You haven't I haven't had the joy of meeting Janine Garofalo. And I've been in the same room as her. She tends
2: to kind of like scoot out the door right after she does a set on comedy shows, Yeah, so I'm excited to have her trapped backstage with me.
3: Yeah, I just saw her last night, actually, on a show, and she's very funny, but very much Janine Garofalo. (laughs) (laughs) She just started... Talking about her spanks for a long time uh, <laughs> on stage. No, you know she kind of sat down in the audience to do it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> cool. She's kind of roaming around the room. She likes to explore. She's very in the moment, love uh, it. and that's what I love about her. Also, you know, at our Stonewall shows, we sometimes have giveaways. I forgot to mention this the last episode, but I thought it was really funny that we are giving away tickets to see. Shelly Wright at City Vineyard on March 8th, Mm -hmm. which... I guess we would have just seen this show when you guys are listening to it. Because we're going to the show too. Yes. But Shelly Wright is, you know, I know nothing about country music or almost nothing. But I know about Shelly Wright because she was one of the first, I believe, technically the third out lesbian in country music. And took a huge hit in her career for that. And there was like a documentary made about her and whatever. So when we're giving away these tickets, like a lot of people in the room, like they, I guess, didn't know... <laughs> who who she was or what and I was like you guys she could be like backstage right now for a surprise performance and like <laughs> you guys are just sitting there really yeah. quiet yeah <laughs> okay. next time just lose your minds lose and pretend mind. they're in the room <laughs> if we're giving stuff away just go nuts like how th- these are like great tickets to a very intimate show that's gonna be awesome so anyway we're excited about that show and you shouldn't look up Shelly Wright. Yeah, watch if- her documentary, which,
2: you know, I still haven't watched, but my country loving <laughs> girlfriend has been reminding me every day that we need to in preparation for the show this Sunday. Yes. She's very excited.
3: Shelly's a big deal. In she is a big deal. T- yeah, <laughs> I mean, I know she's a big deal specifically because Karina, who used to be our intern, is also going to be at the concert and is Obsessed with Shelley, I think mostly because she kind of resembles Celine Dion, but uh, <laughs>
0: no which sad. is
3: a fine reason to be obsessed with somebody. Mm, uh, you don't okay, know her? I, I'm seeing the
1: Celine Dion. Oh, uh, yeah, you see it a little bit, right? A little bit, yeah,
3: yeah. She's pretty. Yeah, she's very beautiful, and she used to date Brad Paisley while she was living with her girlfriend. <laughs> Yep.
1: Sounds like lesbian drama to me.
2: Yes.
3: Yes. Lots of lesbian drama. That was
2: one of our trivia questions at the show for the ticket giveaway. (laughs) Who was her
3: beard? (laughs) Who was her beard? And someone was like, Brad Paisley. (laughs) So yeah, there were people who knew her. Just be like loud when you know a lesbian. Uh, (laughs) Speaking of Stonewall, you know, last episode we talked about how Melody got groped at the show by an audience member, which was... Not cool again, reminder. We still haven't had that listener write in to apologize. Uh, (laughs) if you groped Melody at Stonewall, you can send us an email at (laughs) diking at gmail.com and apologize profusely, and then we will blacklist you from future shows. Just (laughs) just just want to identify you. Yeah, yeah. We did just get an email from a listener who
2: didn't quite like how we talked about the incident last episode. Yes.
3: What? I should pull it up. (laughs) (laughs) So from what I remember from reading this email, they didn't like that we blamed the incident on this person performing toxic masculinity. And they said, why when somebody's an asshole, do you have to blame it on men? Also would like to note that this person didn't say, sorry that this happened to you, Yeah, Melody. no trace of that. <laughs> no trace of that. <laughs> of course, women can be assholes and have it not be men's fault. But when the action is treating a woman as an object and walking by her and grabbing her ass, if you took a survey of like, who would be more likely to do that to a woman they're attracted to? It's men, yeah. right? I mean, like, do, you, do you agree? Do you agree? <laughs> I mean, I've never that,
1: been groped by a woman before. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, if it wasn't consensual, you yeah. it's consensual groping. Oh,
2: this yes, was just yes. like a sneak attack yeah, on that's the street outside of our show. Yeah, that. that's
3: like they did it and laughed and laughed afterwards <laughs> with her friend and just like giggled and ran away. Yeah. So, you know, we can't know what was going on in that person's mind. And that person probably wouldn't even recognize it as performing toxic masculinity. Mm-hmm. But I think that's a safe assumption to say that that has something to do with it. And sometimes we talk in sweeping generalizations on this podcast, but that's how you have to criticize things like toxic masculinity. If the whole time we are just like, not all men and not all times, then the critique is a lot weaker and falls flat. And our job isn't to defend toxic behavior from men, but that's a, a lot of stuff like that—it is learned from men. I don't believe that if men weren't regularly groping women, that women would do this.
2: Yeah, and this person seemed to be really concerned that we aren't looking at people as individuals. That was something in the email. We need to assess people based on their character and their personal actions, not attribute a group identity to them. But that's just how society works. Yeah. You know, we yeah. don't have a term for every individual problematic behavior that every <laughs> problematic individual has done. Yeah. Like, that's just kind of like social one-on-one, I think. But honestly... We do um, appreciate your feedback, we listener, do. because
3: now we get to, to talk about this. And, and this isn't the first time that we've had this feedback, and it's you know, something that's worth addressing and talking about. Right. And I'm definitely
2: yeah open, appreciative, open to hearing about it. But also, at the end of the day, this is a podcast called Diking Out. <laughs> you know, this isn't like, I know this listener wrote in that we were creating a very us versus them kind of world, but like, um, we didn't create that. They yeah, they did. did. But not to <laughs> put you. that back on the men, but I am, you know, like, right, <laughs> right. right. We're gonna dike out, and we're gonna call it out, and it's also just our opinions, and we're just two stand-up comedians at the end of the day.
1: Well, I mean, you know, people say, "Oh, angry feminist lesbians." Um, yes, yeah, okay. <laughs> well, with, with reason. You know, with yes, reason, with, with, with reason. You know, everybody associates you know feminism and anger with lesbianism for some. Odd reason, and yeah. isn't that also like a generalization? It's like treat us as individuals we're all in- indi- we're yes, we are lesbians and we are individuals i mean if you're gonna if you want us to apply the same logic, then do so, but they don't right, so yeah, um, it's always on us to make the corrections instead of them, yeah. so it's bullshit,
3: yeah. Totally. Well, can I curse on the show? Oh yes. Okay, please. Yeah. I wasn't
1: sure if it was like PG or whatever. You, know?
2: no, you just never know.
3: No, definitely not. No, no, no. <laughs> not
2: since I got on my episode in August. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> masturbation was the topic for mine. <laughs> um,
3: and then we got a listener email, and they're like, after listening to the masturbation episode, I feel like I don't masturbate nearly as much as other people and then I found myself like writing this email to a 16 year old about masturbation and I'm <laughs> like is somebody that. gonna arrest me <laughs> like, I was at first I was just like oh listener email you know and like you don't think about things and then after I hit send I'm like did I just talk to a 16 year old about <laughs> masturbation <laughs> yeah like I don't think I said anything inappropriate or like explicit oh but. yeah she was from France
2: too I feel like
3: <laughs> oh yeah that's fine that's a whole other that's thing. probably why I didn't even think of it yeah <laughs> as a now I'm gonna French get an citizen. email about that
2: comment no. I know it
3: <laughs> <laughs> well a more fun thing is that I went to my neighborhood's Irish pride parade that my neighbors invited me to and I thought when they said Irish pride I was thinking like gay Irish people because mm-hmm. when you put pride after something I just automatically assume that it's gay mm-hmm. and then when we got there there were some rainbow flags and stuff but I'm like oh wait is this just like because we live in a neighborhood with a lot of Irish people mm-hmm. and it's just like pride in being Irish mm-hmm. and then I asked them about it And it was both. It was both. It was a reaction to the official St. Patrick's Day Parade, I think back in 1999, wouldn't let gay people march under a rainbow banner, gay Irish people Mm -hmm. who wanted to do that. And just recently in uh, Staten Island... Oh, I saw that. Yep, Staten Island is... uh, Because now in the St. Patrick's Day Parade, they, they allow gay people to march under a rainbow flag. In Staten Island, they wouldn't let, I think, Miss Staten Island, who's bisexual, be... Yeah, she came out as bisexual, and they said she couldn't participate in the parade. In the parade. In Staten Island, I'm
1: shocked.
2: Right, yeah. right.
3: Yeah, if if you don't know, listeners, because uh, I know a lot of you are international too, Staten Island, in this like liberal-ish bubble that we have in New York, Staten Island is like... Trump country. (laughs) Yeah. It was in an island on their own. Somehow they all all ended up there. So they kept having this parade in my neighborhood anyways, and it had a lot of queer groups, and it was a lot of families out to see this with their kids, and it was just such a beautiful event, and AOC was there. Hello. So exciting. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I got to, like, very briefly interact with her and then um cecilia got a picture with her and talked to her in spanish and was excited and she was being so cute she's like crouching down and talking to all the kids and i don't know i just really enjoy aoc and feel lucky that she is my congressional rep it's pretty fucking cool also because i'm on hormones as you guys know because i'm starting the egg retrieval freezing process uh, I cried three times during the parade once oh. <laughs> uh, seeing AOC talk to kids that made me emotional a second time when this one SUV was in the parade driving by slowly and in the back was this queer gender nonconforming kid playing the ukulele and singing into like a mic that was plugged into an amp so that means I'm assuming his parents paid for that spot in the parade so that their child could sit in the trunk and sing their their music. And I started crying because it was the sweetest thing. This <laughs> kid looked kind of emo-y and, I don't know, really tugged at my heartstrings. And then this other van went by that was like, remember the Triangle Fire? And I kind of forgot about the Triangle Fire, and then I felt bad and then started crying. <laughs> <God>. So... <laughs> I've been having... A, I'm not even on the strong stuff yet. I'm just like on an estrogen patch and mm-hmm. some human growth hormone and... I am getting very, I'm getting emotional just thinking about the triangle fire, you guys. <laughs> the factory fire, a lot of people died. What I love is Carolyn didn't
2: realize that she was taking the wrong dose of these hormones for like the last <laughs> a few week. Days, or, yeah. or yeah. Just a few days. <laughs> so she's like, oh, I'm just so emotional on these hormones. <laughs> yeah. And then found out she was actually microdosing. Yeah. <laughs> like, so I was wow. like, oh, wow, let's get ready for that real
3: dose. I Behavior. know. Behavior. <laughs> I know. Oh my gosh. I'm I'm bracing for, I think, a week from now is when I start the the heavy duty stuff and I'm already crying so much in public just just thinking about things you guys so speaking of things worth crying over Valerie you met Desiree Akhavan at the portrait of a lady on fire premiere (laughs) Uh, it was, it was a, cu- mm. well, it, uh, yes, I guess, okay. I
1: guess you could call it a premiere
3: because or, well, yeah, I mean, it was, <sighs> the way that they rolled that
1: movie out is so weird.
3: And... Yes, that what it was because it came out like a while ago and I know people who saw it months ago in New York, but then it had like the wider release and then the Angelica Theater in New York will often have these Q and A's with directors of movies once that i accidentally snuck in on one and i felt really bad about it because it was sold out and i think i took somebody's seats but i'd like just seen a movie and it was for colette Mm -hmm. and i saw the poster for colette i'm like well this looks interesting so my wife and i are like want to just go see another movie and sit in the theater Mm -hmm. And then it was like the fucking Q&A director, writer team there. And it was so full. And we're like, oopsie. (laughs) But see, I think at that time, maybe they didn't have assigned seating. They do now. Yes. They yeah, all
1: do now.
2: As
3: they should. Yeah. <laughs> because of just terrible people like my wife and I. <laughs> <laughs> Double dipping at the movies. So anyway, yeah. Tell us about the Because we we talked a little bit about how much we love Portrait of the Lady on Fire. And you got to moderate the Q&A. Yeah.
2: I, I'm curious
1: to know what do you guys like about it? Well, what did... Uh, okay, well... What well, did we not? Nothing. W- yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> what kind of question is that? Um, When I saw the movie at Cannes, it was... It was under some interesting circumstances because Cannes is an exhausting experience. Yeah. Because the whole thing is like three miles wide. Yeah, You can go see movies pretty much anywhere. They have three different film festivals going on at the same time. Right. And so that night I went to go see the last showing. It was like 1030 at night. I was tired. I was already upset. And then I had gotten into an argument with security because they didn't want me to bring gum in there. And they were treating me like shit. Gum? Yeah. <laughs> they don't want you to mess up. They, they, listen, they were just being racist. The, the yeah, style of yeah. The France is
3: incredibly racist. What, what is it? Singapore, Fr- France. Uh, in Singapore, you can't chew gum on the streets, but in in France, there's like they don't want you to bring like food or drink or
1: anything yeah. into the thing. But I'm like gum. Yeah, yeah. They no, they were just being assholes. To me. Sure, that's, that's sure what it was. And yeah, it was 10:30 at night, and I was like, well, I know this is like a a thing about lesbians, so let's see, whatever. I wasn't too impressed with the optics of it. I was like, yes, it's a bunch of white folks and whatever. I'm like, this is can whatever, whatever. Yes. And then I got in there. It was packed. I sat in the front row in the very last open seat. That was in the theater was packed. It was like 300 people. Yes. Yeah. And when the movie was over, I was like, whoa. I was like, holy shit. And then I went and I talked my roommates ear off for about an hour about it. And ever since then, I had like championed the film. And then. I had been talking about the film and talking about the film. And then I interviewed them at TIFF, still talking about it. And then I went to see it. You know, I've seen the movie like 30 times. Oh, yes. um, between screeners and the theater since May, I've seen it like 30 times. and
3: I plan on seeing it again this week. Yeah, it's one of those
1: see again films. But yeah, I reached out to them actually about, you know, doing a Q&A. And I didn't think they were going to get back to me because I thought they were mad at me because I went around them to get an interview. The studio, Neon, sure. went around them to get an interview and then, but they were like, yeah, why not? And I was like, well, yeah. And then we did this Q&A and it was super comfortable. And, and you know, she seemed to be in a comfort zone because we knew each other. Yeah. Um, But also. W- was it just
3: with Celine? Okay. It was just with Celine. The other... Who's Adele the director Heinel writer. And
1: yeah. um, Noemi Merlant. They, after L.A., I think they did some press stuff in L.A. and they... They were done. They yeah, were done. That makes
3: sense. LA, press is exhausting. You know, <laughs> like they, press is exhausting. Well,
1: but also yeah. L.A. is just another... Yeah. L.A. is not like here. Like yeah. here, you can go outside, you can smoke, you can chill. People are not going to really bother you. Yeah. But over there, they they're weird you know it's a very cult of personality and celebrity over there and they they didn't understand that yeah so it kind of creeped them out but selena's like i'm gonna keep going I'm okay keep going and she said i asked her questions that she hadn't been asked on the press tour yeah and i think that's important to you know find something new and not boring can you yes. tell us what you asked her um yeah <laughs> I'm going to preface this by saying that I think that I like Neon a lot and I like the people there. Mm-hmm. I, I think that they could have done a better job with actually promoting it to specifically queer audiences. And what I mean by that is, um, you know, we have different organizations here like OutFest and, and, and NewFest and yep. everything. And I'm sure those people were trying to reach out to Neon for like... Curated screenings, let, let's talk to the, in, right. a, in a queer environment, but that didn't happen. And hmm. so when I was thinking about questions, I was thinking about, you know, because I wanted to ask her who was the top, but I was like, that's not appropriate. <laughs> and somebody had already asked her that before.
3: I know, and I love the answer. And I, I was like, well, okay, so that's out of the way.
0: So I was like, well, let me- Spoiler, they're both tops. Okay. So <laughs>
1: it's equality, yeah. as she says it is. But <laughs> I asked her about Sophie, who's the maid. I was like, how did that fit? into this relationship with the two how did yeah. you plan that out? Because I was like, that's very important because yeah. it's a different type I of relationship. So did I. Yes. So much. You know, all the characters are my favorite, but I like the sisterhood and camaraderie they had with someone who would be considered lower class. Yeah. Like it just was not. It wasn't a thing. It was an equality thing. You yeah. Know? And I asked her about like the blocking because, you know, each scene is blocked and there's different people standing in different places and, and how that creates levels and sort of like a thing of beauty and, and stuff like that. I asked her really about the making of the film. And how do you come up with characters like this and their circumstances? Because it could have just been two girls in Versailles, right? Right. Right. But it was like, okay, so we have this nun, this former nun and we have this painter. And how did you come up with those circumstances? I love me a
3: former nun. Let me tell you.
1: (laughs) And um, (laughs) we talked about uh, the female gaze, of course, which I know she had been asked, but yes, I asked her about like, how did she manage to circumvent the other gazes and create something? new and different yeah I didn't have that much time but i those are the questions that i kind of asked her great question because i wanted to be out of the norm and people were like so tell us about the sex scene and yeah. this." And, right. that. and i'm like what do you need to know they're kissing she put a hand in the armpit like what you know yeah are people were like yeah how did Sophie end up pregnant i was what like how do people end up? like <laughs> yeah just you know and I noticed that on the press tour they were talking to a lot of men and those interviews suck yeah because they because they just that You know, it's a lot of men asking about the female gaze and what it is and why it's so revolutionary or why it's so feminist and so angry or whatever, you know. Angry? Yeah. You know, because the world revolves around men and their gaze. And when anything outside of that exists, they don't get it. Yeah. And you're like, well, why can't it just be a movie about people instead of the female gaze? And I'm like, well, What? It's a movie that stars three women. (laughs) And so the discussion about the female gaze is really important. But I think Portrait of a Lady on Fire made it very clear what that looks like. Yeah. In a queer sense and just in a woman sense as well. Because we see what happens when a woman directs a film, period. Right. Right. When we look at the Suicide Squad versus Birds of Prey. And a lot of guys are kind of like, oh, Harley Quinn is, you know, she's not sexy enough. Well, if you, you know, weren't an asshole, you would realize that Harley Quinn is actually wearing less in Birds of Prey than she is in the Suicide Squad. But because it's for your gaze in the first film, that's all you care about. Yeah. And suddenly it went from, oh, she's sexy to now it's a feminist agenda. Yeah. And that's how a lot of people feel about stuff like that is that they think that there's this agenda to isolate men and not give them what they want. Sorry, I mean a film like Portrait of Lady On Fire is for everybody. Yes. But a lot of, you know, especially in France, they were like, not enough TNA. Yep. Yeah. I heard about that too, that France
3: didn't uh, find it sexy enough. Really? Yeah, because yeah. they
1: have stuff like blue is the warmest color. It's yep, a that's, hot mess. Yeah, yeah. That's
3: what I was, we talk about that in our lesbian sex scene episode about how male gazy that was and that just ruined it 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 ruined it 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 could have been like such a beautiful movie and such a beautiful story but the male gaze was like so present in it that i feel like like no any queer woman watching is would be like
1: huh i really don't understand how people like this movie yeah especially like queer women because it's a movie that's not even for you. Yes, <laughs> exactly. it exists for someone else, mm-hmm. not yeah. for us. Um, it made me really uncomfortable.
3: And, and just to back up, like defining, you know, male gaze versus female gaze. My understanding of it has been kind of what I said in the the intro of women being treated as objects versus subjects. And Celine Tiama says that she
1: said it's, okay. it's treating them as subjects and not as objects, which the male gaze does when you look at. Films like Atomic Blonde. I mean, I'm like, do women who love women really do all that? No. But a film like Atomic Blonde, who is it really for? Mm-hmm. You know, it's not for me. Yeah. You know, it's a film directed by men for men about a woman. Yeah. Um, Who just happens to like women as well. And, you know, it's not something that's particularly well done. I feel like every few years we get decent films about women who love women. And that's it. We had a few outliers and that's it. Yeah. You know, you have Pariah, you have Carol, you have the handmaiden, which is, you know, up for debate between a lot of people. You know, you have Portrait of Lady on Fire, you have Rafiki and a couple of others. Disobedience. Disobedience. But everything in between that is like either really bad.
3: Yeah. (laughs) um, Or
1: from the male gaze. Yeah. They're not, you know, in Portrait of Lady on Fire, they're not really, you know, they're not treated as objects as if they were. Then we'd see all kind of stuff, you know, all over the place. Um, and it will more likely be a story about, you know, two aristocratic females who fall in love and have a ton of sex and one of them dies, yeah. you know? But it's it it's a film that, as Celine Sciamma says, avoids convention because it's a different type of ending. The way that sex and sexuality is treated mm-hmm. is different. And you can just sort of tell that there's a specific gaze there. Even in films like Hustlers where... You can tell it's directed by a woman, you know, even though it's a film about stripping. Yeah. It's still very, it still has the female gaze there and it doesn't feel like objectification. Not objectifying a woman is not hard. It's not hard. Right. But because the film and television industry is dominated by white cis men, this is what we get.
3: Yeah. An interesting thing that I heard Celine talk about on an interview was that even as oh. Woman, it is very challenging to write something from the standpoint of the female gaze because so much of what we see and what we consume, and how screenwriting and film and storytelling is even taught, is from a male gaze perspective. So that she had to do like a lot of work and really think about every element of the film from the standpoint of not objectifying and like, who is this serving?
1: You get, you know, imagine writing out a list of all the things that are like included in the male gaze, that long list. And you're like, okay, so I'm not doing that. Yeah. And then you got to sit there and be like, okay, well then what do I do? Yeah. Right. How do I, how do I formulate this? And that's I think one of the things that makes the movie so great is that you could tell it was thought out really well it took her like years to write it and it was yeah. like, well thought out and like everything was very detailed and i'm like i wish i could write like that like yeah because you know even parts of my story that i'm writing i'm like okay so i see where this is a little gazy and i don't want to do that but even the concept of like female friendships is seen from the male gaze and i think that you know very rarely do films portray even female friendships
3: until book smart properly right, right until booksmart and it's like directed by a woman directed right? by a yeah. woman and yeah. it's like
1: you know two ladies can be friends two lesbians can be just friends like yeah. you know there doesn't have to be anything sexual between them and i think we are we are taught as women to exist within patriarchy we have to navigate it they don't have to do that for us we have to do that for our survival right so when creating a story like that, I could see why it would be difficult to take forever to write because you have to let go of, you know, everything that you've been indoctrinated to know and learn to write something that doesn't do that. But France is also a very racist, sexist, xenophobic society.
3: Yes. Um, yeah. And
1: I am not shy about saying that. Because I've been there several times and I see it.
3: Oh, I the mean, my, my dad, out. my dad lives there. Half my family's from, from France and I guess I'm, I'm technically a citizen and oh, I. Oh wow, you're a citizen of France? Yes. Uh, you speak French? We. Oui. <laughs> oh, cool. uh, so you didn't have to read the subtitles then? Yeah. Well, I was saying, Melody <laughs> asked, asked but I'm like, when the words are on the screen, I like my eyes get drawn there anyway. Mm-hmm. But it sometimes I was making like a very conscious effort, like, do not look at the subtitles. I'm not fluent because I never have spent more than like two weeks there at a time and grew up speaking mostly English, whatever. But it's a super xenophobic races like all the ists France has a reputation for that and especially for people who aren't from France who go there to visit and the experiences that they have you know I know a lot of black people who have gone there and have been like followed around stores
2: yeah. you can, know man. yeah
3: can was like because
1: you know they treat the Africans they like crap right yeah and so they figure whose I guess,
3: places they've colonized right and now they're mad that they live in France <laughs> and it's like they look yeah. at everybody yeah. who's
1: like darker than a paper bag and then they think that we're all from the same place yeah yeah so you know I go in there and I try to be nice speak a little French so I can greet somebody and I can get some stuff but that didn't work after a while and I had to just start speaking English because I needed to assert That I was Western Mm -hmm. and that I could speak English. Yeah. And that I'm not going to take your bullshit. Yeah. (laughs) So it was a little easier when I just stopped speaking French. Yeah. Which is wild.
2: Yeah. Yeah. But... I could see that they don't love Middle Easterners either they don't like uh-huh. anybody I, I that's encountered not the nastiest you were there, really, <laughs> oh yeah, such a bitch to me, like straight up told me she would not help me. um wow. I had to follow her around just in French, asking for my size in this shoe, and she just like refused,
3: but then I saw her going and greeting and helping other white customers. It's so, a so big part of why I don't speak to my dad anymore. Is honestly, since he moved back to France, uh, he is like so xenophobic against people from like the Middle East or Algeria mm-hmm. or whatever, and I I want nothing to do with it. I'm just like,
1: nope. You go all over, you know, the continent of Africa, and a lot of people are speaking French, and it's like yeah. that's your fault. That's, yeah, yeah, you know, that's not. Yeah, you know, but I when I uh, hopefully knock on wood, some wood or whatever, knock <laughs> on this, I'm going to be going back this year. And now I know how to navigate it a little bit better. Yeah. Because I would be standing on the street and, like, people would think I'm
3: scalping tickets. And I was
1: like, I I have a badge on. Like, what? Uh, really? But, well, okay. Yeah. I mean,
3: whatever. But it also doesn't help that the French are, like, extremely unfiltered. Like, I remember even just, like, going there a lot as, as a kid and as a teenager, I would come out of, like, a dressing room at a store and some... Random woman who's just shopping there would come over and tell me that I was too fat to pull off the dress that I was wearing. <laughs> like, they're just very forthcoming about their thoughts and aren't really concerned about who's going to be. Well, see, that's you the know. thing. And that's why, like, <laughs> I believe, like. So combine that with racism. <laughs> right. And, 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 and sexism. And, and xenophobia.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> I believe that, you know, that's why they didn't really understand and take to the concept of the female gaze because even their women are so indoctrinated and yeah. brainwashed. Oh. The, Bardot. Br, Brigitte
2: Bardot.
1: Brigitte Cath, Bardot, Catherine Deneuve. Deneuve, yeah. Uh, Sucks. A whole bunch of them. And it's like, are French white women over 50? Like, what is happening? And as you saw recently, I don't know if you noticed what happened at the Caesar Awards.
2: I did. Uh, yeah, I was I, waiting for us to start talking about that. Yes, I
3: retweeted you from the Diking Out account on that one because I had read about it and... Explain.
1: Adele Hainel, who who plays Heloise in Portrait of a Lady on Fire, had come out earlier this year talking about how she was abused and, you know, groped and, you know, sort of assaulted by the director of her first film, Christophe Rugia. Um, her first film, uh, The Devil, The Little Devils, or what it's called, whatever it's called. And she was abused from the ages of 12 to 15 um, while on the press tour for the film. And she had really set off what sparked the French Me Too movement because they're like two, three years behind. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, And a couple of people had tried to come out about what was happening. Black French women had already been talking about it, but of course nobody listens to them. And I think... Isabella Johnny had said something earlier, and nobody listened to her either. And Adele Hanel was pretty much like, "I have the power now. I have a voice to so let me speak on what happened." And then you know, people were you know discrediting her, saying, "Why did she wait so long? This, that, and the other." And then yeah, you know, the whole thing about Polanski being nominated for all these things sort of set in motion like this, like this radical
3: feminist movement, which Hanel had become the face of. And so, and and for listeners who aren't aware, Roman Polanski raped a 13-year-old. And was convicted. And was convicted. And now it lives in France because if he comes back to the U.S., he would be arrested upon arrival. So that's kind of the context for this.
1: (laughs) Right. And he was nominated at all of these French award shows and the Caesars, which is the French equivalent of the Oscars. His film won like three or four awards, including Best Director. And hey, over,
3: now, over Celine,
1: over Celine. Yeah. Over... Weren't they not
2: even nominated for a lot of categories? They were nominated. for oh, they were nominated, everything. But They just
1: didn't, they only, just won. they only won one. Yeah. And a lot of that people believe, and I also believe it was retaliation. I think so. Um, and yeah. Retribution. Oh, for um, sure. Because the board of the Caesars quit like shortly before the award show. And I think everybody started to, pr- I think, cause I mean, Celine and th- these are smart people. So I think they saw it coming. Yeah. But I don't think they thought it would manifest in this way. And uh, and they got up. Once they announced his name, they got up and walked out. Like the whole cast of Portrait bounced. Yeah, The cast and crew, they all left, uh, including some others.
3: Yeah, that's what I was wondering. If more people in the room also left in solidarity. Yeah. The unfortunate part
1: about it, and I, I say that Roman Polanski really ruined...
3: A lot of people like. Well, it's not his fault. It's
1: it's his fault and his enablers. They really ruined some historic moments. Um, Aisa Maja, who is a African French woman, went on stage and pretty much made the whole entire audience feel uncomfortable because she was like, "You're racist. You give us these <laughs> stereotypical roles. Shame on you." Yeah. Um. So it overshadowed that moment. And then Ladjie, who directed Les Miserables, which was a very popular film in France, he won Best Picture. And that moment was overshadowed because they chose to give Polanski the Best Director Award, yeah. and so now everybody's talking about that instead of acknowledging these other historic moments that took place during the award show. Yeah, and people are kind of blaming Adele, and it's like, no, blame the establishment. <laughs> she's just making a statement, something yeah. that y'all should have did long ago. Yeah, um, she's just the first one. Who's willing to put her neck out on the line because she's white and yeah. she's privileged and why not? She's like, if I'm gonna take the fall, then fine, then let it happen. I just hope other people will be able to come out and stand up as well. Yeah. And so it it, it really ruined a, a huge moment for French cinema because they just had to give it to him because that's there it is, you feminist, lesbian, angry bitches, you take that yeah and that's kind of how and that's kind of how it sort of rolled out and even before the award show, the media was turning it into this rapist versus feminist thing yeah it 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 was not they it was bad, it was really bad. it all started from the female gaze, and it just sort of rolled downhill <laughs> and that's sort of where and this is where we've ended up, yeah. Um, The ladies are are stronger for it. They are not crying. They have their heads held high because I spoke to Celine since then. Yeah. And um, they're hoping that it starts a bigger movement because outside of the Caesars, women were setting fires and throwing things. Really? Nothing like what we would do here. Let me take that back. Nothing like the status quo would do here because there are pockets, mainly women of color who have been radical and done things. But that was just, it was a group of, all kinds of people setting fires and throwing barricades and all kinds of stuff. I mean, they were pissed Yeah. even before the thing started. But after it started, it got worse. They were breaking stuff. Like I was like, see, that's, that's the kind of stuff that we need. Because maybe they'll get the point. They'll get yeah. the kind of hint Break then. Shit. Um, but, you know, it seems like once a year Paris is on fire because they are doing something. They're raising tuition and now they're having a riot. Or, yeah, you know, yeah. like they're like... You know, they're one of the countries of revolution. So I guess that's something they do well.
3: Yeah, even when my when my mom lived over there, when she met my dad, uh, she remembers going to protests a lot. Like, that was a big part of living there as a student, was that, like, oh, yeah, it's uh, Saturday, time to protest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and that's just all because they just don't
1: acknowledge womanhood and feminism as a thing. I remember mm-hmm. they were on a press tour in L.A., and... Adele had mentioned that she was a feminist and people started clapping and she was shocked because <laughs> feminism over there is like bad. Yeah. Seen as bad because, you know, everybody takes the men's side. Yeah. Charlotte Gainsborough and Isabella Hubert who refuses to even comment on it. And it's like you can't be neutral in stuff like this. Yeah. You should actually pick a side. Yeah. Um, preferably one that benefits you the most. So it's, I feel like I'm like every French white woman over 50 seems to be like... I don't know. They can't. The one, this one lady, I forgot her name, Fanny something. She said she would go to the guillotine for a rapist, for Roman Polanski. That's how bad they are over there. Jesus. Jesus (laughs) (laughs) Jesus. She's like, I would go up to the guillotine for Roman Polanski. I was like, wow. Okay.
2: That's why we need that footage of Eloise running out and saying like, bravo
1: pedophilia she was like (laughs) she was like bravo pedophile you know long pedophilia and stuff like that yeah and you could see like the
2: workers were like now like (laughs) they didn't know what to say yeah yeah people Um, in the background are stunned yeah
3: what a hero i love it i yeah there i have met some
2: uh when i was in paris last um i met up with a friend and his girlfriend who's a huge feminist and her friends, and when they found out I did stand up comedy, they were taken aback and said they wouldn't expect that from me because they're used to stand up just being like fully misogynistic, like bullshit material. There, like girls there don't really enjoy it; it's really just for guys. And I was like, oh no,
3: no, well, we I, have. And then the one, <laughs> the one like somewhat prominent female comic in France is like dating Louis C.K.
2: Oh, really? Well, there you yeah. go. I mean, <laughs> and I, I,
3: think, I'm pretty sure she does. Is that the
2: stand-up.
1: chick that hosted the season?
3: Oh, it might be because she also like did blackface. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah. Well, <laughs> I was wondering what brought those two lovebirds together, but I think we, we now. Now. I think we know now. We
1: know now, um, because she was even called out for it. It's like, okay, so you're the host and you're a feminist, but you also did blackface. So you're yeah. racist too. Yeah, and it's like you know we can't. Those things should not be separated. Yeah, it's because just because you're a feminist doesn't mean you're not a racist too. Yeah, and you know, oh yeah.
3: So.
0: <laughs> Shopify.com slash realm.
3: I would also love to keep talking about portrait of a lady on fire. Um <laughs> <laughs> Because I loved it so much. And and also, like, while watching it, because I'm not, like, a film buff by any means or, like, a film critic or anything, I wasn't necessarily aware or, like, noticing while I was watching that it's the the female gaze and that's what made it. So it was, like, afterwards and thinking about it and everything I just saw and, like, why, you know, because I, I love myself, like, a good slow burn movie like that, but this one felt, like, so different to me. And I know that... <laughs> that's I think a big reason why. And even I got caught up in my
1: own like misogyny at first viewing it because
3: I like films that
1: change my perspective. Like, outside of the film but the world and it sort of changed things because I remember being in the theater like if I don't see some kissing and some yeah, titties, yeah. I'm gonna get pissed yeah yeah yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I was counting down I was like okay okay it's like when I saw Disobedience I'm like this is a lot of religious stuff to get through <laughs> yeah, before okay, yeah. I get to the passionate sexy times
1: <laughs> and I was like wait if I don't see some kissing and some titties I'm gonna leave yeah. and then it was like okay so that's not what the film is about and you know I didn't discover that until the second watch yeah, and I was like, you know, yeah. this is, this film has totally changed.
3: But it's still like super, like sexy and erotic. That's why I love because you know we're so used to seeing the story told from a stance of forbidden love, and then when they do get together, it's this like passionate, crazy, like throw her up against the wall type of thing. And that's not what this was, and but it was still felt like so. Sexy. And, and
1: it is. It's just not giving you what you want the way you want
3: it. Yeah. You know,
1: the way you're used to it anyway. Yeah. And um, I like it. And I, and change I, change it up. I like that. Um, yeah. Yeah. The Portrait Nation is the, you know, these like rabbit fans who, love the film and which i'm a part of um and <laughs> they pay attention to details and they're like wow
3: portrait so nation how do i apply for citizenship <laughs>
1: just tweet about the movie i mean Great. this movie has really changed a lot of young kids lives
3: yeah like these
1: teenagers you know helping them come out and embrace their sexuality like it has done a lot yeah but they counted and they were like man this movie's super sexual because they're having sex like four times a day and i'm like how did you know that and then, you know, seeing it like the 13th time, you start paying attention. And you're like, oh, OK, so they were together four or five days and they're having sex all the time. So, of course, it's a sexual movie. We just don't see it because we don't have to because we know. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Anyway.
3: Yeah. And I mentioned, you know, Desiree Akavan was there because to me, that's someone else who also does a really amazing job at female gaze. Mm-hmm type content and also having it be you know exploring like a lot more nuanced stuff and showing sex in a way that's like different than we've seen it before mm-hmm. showing nudity that's different from a way that that we've seen it before and
1: i like the miseducation of cameron post
3: i was so. gonna say that too um, that so oh good. yeah i wasn't even thinking of miseducation i was just thinking more like bisexual and appropriate behavior oh, but but also yeah uh miseducation she does by visibility well and yeah miseducation and, and Persian
1: visit as a queer Persian I'm uh, obviously I'm, obsessed so. yeah <laughs> she's great I saw it there. she she cries during the movie like she's crying the whole time oh my gosh Your poor thing <laughs> but she she loves the movie well, Just, uh, I was sobbing people, but a lot of people like the movie because finally someone has been courageous enough to do it and it's been a woman who wasn't at the best of a studio telling her what to do because they get public funds
3: yes yes. so they once you get your money important. you do whatever you want mm-hmm. Yeah, we don't have that here yeah
1: so I think that's one of the good things about France is that once you get your money you do whatever you want to do with it
3: yeah to have the government funding arts and knowing the importance of arts and culture which is opposite of how <laughs> our current government feels mm-hmm. uh, does seem very revolutionary so in thinking about the female gaze, it seems like obviously it seems very important having women produce, direct, write to get to that point. Can you think of any examples where you've seen a movie that hasn't been like directed or written by a woman that felt like it wasn't dominated by the male gaze? Carol? Carol?
1: Yeah. I don't know if y'all agree with me, but I know Todd, I know it's kind of cheating because Todd Haynes is is gay. Yeah. And I believe that may help a little bit. Yeah, yeah. just being queer, because at least if it's not the female gaze, there's a queer gaze there that you can sort of relate to. And be like, okay, well, this is not over the top, which I didn't think Carol was, but it still had that narrative of married woman defying her husband in the 1950s, whatever, Mm -hmm. which is a trope that we see Often. It just looked very pretty.
3: Yeah. It was interesting because after I saw Carol, I read The Price of Salt, Mm -hmm. which is the, the novel it was based on. And it was interesting because I almost feel like Therese was maybe made out to be the object. Though I guess in The Price of Salt, she's also kind of the the object but in the price of salt it seemed like a lot stronger everything's told really from therese's point of view mm-hmm. whereas the movie felt like more like this is carol's story and therese is just like the object of that mm-hmm. well one movie that came to mind for me and i, I don't know who directed it i think it might have been a queer man maybe not um the hours that's like one of the last dvds i, I hold on to <laughs>
2: <laughs> I love that movie
3: I love The Hours so much I mean again maybe Michael Cunningham who wrote the book and also the screenplay might be why The Hours felt like that there wasn't anything there that was really for men
1: mm-hmm. another film that came to mind was The Duke of Burgundy have you seen oh, that? I, not. I
3: haven't seen that Yeah, I gotta watch that I've heard of that but tell me more refresh my memory The Duke of Burgundy is about these,
1: these this lesbian couple who engage in
3: BDSM I'm in <laughs>
1: um, and the movie is just beautifully done, and it's about like topping from the bottom, and it's wow. about power dynamics. And cool, this it's, is getting me emotional. This is about God. you know, it's, <laughs> it's, there are there are no men in it. Mm-hmm. I, well, if there are men in it, it's for very little. Yeah, and like portrait, right? That's what I and like. Like um, Peter Strickland, mm. his films often center women. And I don't know if Peter Strickland is queer. I don't think so. I think he just was maybe raised in a household of women. Yeah. So The Duke of Burgundy, I recommend that you see that and let me know what you think.
3: I'll check that out. Yeah, I don't know. I guess when I think of movies or stories that that are my favorite, like without even having to think about it, are ones that treat women as subjects and, and are told through the female gaze. I don't know if this actually... Counts, But like Alice in Wonderland. I always loved Alice in Wonderland mm-hmm. and I never knew why. And then I realized because it's like a girl character in a way that at that time there weren't many girls who were just like kind of on their own having to figure out like a crazy world and like make sense of things and be on this journey like by themselves, and there wasn't anything. I like. There's, there's a
1: queer element to Alice in Wonderland, and like that sense of finding a sense of community and sort of exploring other people and worlds that you're not familiar with, and finding common ground and community within that as a woman. As yeah. a s you know, as a solo woman, just to put put the information out there. Just because something uh, has queer elements doesn't mean it, that it's necessarily tied to sexuality. Yes, um, just want to point that out. Yeah, sure. people, when I say some certain things are queer people like but that has nothing to do with gay people and I'm like well Midsummer is queer but it has nothing to do with anybody being gay it's just a different <laughs> yes. realm of when we so yeah I could I could actually see that because there's a queer element there
3: yeah I mean I feel like if it was like Alex in Wonderland I wouldn't have been as into it <laughs> uh but a movie that I was thinking about too that whenever people say like what's your your favorite movie, or I think of the movie that I could watch over and over again and never get sick of it, is A League of Their Own. Mm-hmm. And Penny Marshall directed that. And I think, again, had that not been directed by Penny Marshall, it could have been yeah. a very different movie. Oh, yeah. What about,
2: like, was Eternal Sunshine of a Spotless Mind, was that a female? No, character? that was, was Michelle Gondry. Yeah, Michelle oh, Gondry, then who's I don't know why that didn't feel like overtly
1: male to me i believe he he just writes women that way so it is possible men yeah. <laughs> i just think if you're a man and you treat women like human beings <laughs> that you can have a woman character
3: who's not shitty leave
1: yeah. you know what i mean yeah it's so very easy
3: well what do you think of you know i don't know if it was gina davis who maybe i'm I'm sure it wasn't her idea, but has talked it up of like saying, "Hey, why don't you just try taking one of the the men in your scripts and just change it to a woman?" Isn't and
1: that see what they what did with Alien? I think that's what they
3: did with Alien.
1: I, I think so. Um, yeah. Uh, Ripley was a man originally, and they just changed the gender and the name. Yeah, and that was it. That's yeah, a good start. <laughs> <laughs> and right. that was it. And that's how you got Ellen Ripley. Yeah, like it's very. That's actually not a bad thing. And actually, for my current story, my current story follows an older woman and a young girl. It's a Western that takes place during the Gold Rush period. And it's about two women of color. The older woman was originally a man in another story. And I was like, what if I take this idea and this character make it a woman? Mm -hmm. And people are like, oh, I love the character and everything like that. I'm like, okay, maybe that's because I took the idea from a man. (laughs) <laughs> to a woman yeah, <laughs> yeah. mind blown um, yeah like, but it, <laughs> shouldn't, it shouldn't be like that right we should just write one another like human beings going through a human experience instead of objects you know um, yeah
3: well and, and then also it, i mean depending on like how far along you are in something but like let's say there's a role in a movie that the person wrote having like a white person in mind and then they cast a black person which never happens uh, almost never happens but the role like wasn't written with that person's like background and experiences meant then they're like but isn't it great this is a more diverse movie now it's like well yes visibility on screen is good but if you're not considering like that character and how their experiences would be shaped and influenced by their race their gender their sexuality does that character actually help
1: you're the first person that has like been able to acknowledge that there's a distinction between that having visibility and proper representation are two totally different things yeah Mm -hmm. and just throwing a couple of people of color in there for diversity purposes does not mean that it's you've made a good choice
3: well it's something that I have to think about as somebody who you know wants to write for tv and writes pilots and as a a white woman I don't want to write you know a script full of white people but then I also feel like I'm ill-equipped to write from you know someone else's experience and trying to yeah I don't know I've, I've read a lot into like what do you do? <laughs> and I know people are going to get mad at
1: me. You can DM me and be upset, whatever you want. But <laughs> Greta Gerwig's Little Women, for example, is a huge example. I know people have pegged her before about her films, about her one film not being very diverse and being extra unrealistic. Mm-hmm. So in Little Women, what she does is she, um, there's two people of color, two black people. One of them works on a train. And I was like, okay, so that's not realistic. Because this is like, I don't know if this was pre or post-Civil War. I believe it's post-Civil War. But I was like, working on the train as a black person, post-Civil War is not realistic. I thought it was yeah. like mid-Civil War. Was almost.
3: it mid-Civil I, It's Civil War-ish. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The dad is gone fighting the dad's in, gone. The, okay. yeah, yeah, so in the Civil like, War. So
1: it's yeah. It's during the Civil War.
3: Yeah. And I was like,
1: I know it's like Northeast, but I was like, the likelihood of that being real is not. And so it kind of took me out the movie. Yeah. Which I know is something silly and small, but Mm -hmm. it it took me out. Yeah. Because if your film is all white, that's fine. If that's what you do, then do it. Yeah. But don't shoehorn some stuff you don't know nothing about. Right. You discredit yourself in your film. and So you can't just do visibility for visibility's sake. Yeah. Because you end up missing out. Yeah. um, And fucking up, which is what usually happens.
3: Yeah. Yeah. So... I could have this conversation go on forever because I find it fascinating. But I think we have to normalize like women in general directing
1: films no matter what. Right. What. Angle it comes from. I just think we need more of just that, and we more need more of that. People, right. you
2: write what you know, and those are the best stories. But so we need more
1: women, but we writers need more women directors. failing, and more women getting it wrong because mm-hmm. then having that be, be okay, right? Because we need to normalize that too. Because men yes. get it wrong all the time, right? Yep. And listen, most of the the films that are out are produced and directed and written by men, and most films are average. It's very rare that a film is extremely bad or extremely good. Yes. Most of the time, they're in the middle. Yep. And that means most men, white, cis men, are average. <laughs> so you could DM me if you want, whatever. <laughs> we could discuss it. But that's just my opinion. And that's yeah. just what I'm going
2: to say. And you can have an element of the film still be a home run and right. still have a mediocre film. Like what was Brene Zellweger? Her role in Judy. Judy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty oh, mediocre yeah, yeah. film. But just like her performance, you can like still provide those opportunities for other facets of the film to really strive.
3: There are a lot of books, I feel, being written about women in Hollywood and, and the hurdles that they face. And just a, a look at the numbers and the, the odds and what uh, you have to kind of overcome from all parts of the industry, even like agents and things like that, that all to factors of representation and now, you know, you think that's hard for women, then look to minorities, look to transgender actors and yeah. uh, actors with disabilities. You know, it's a huge mountain to, to climb. Like we're so far from equality in the industry. So I was listening to this NPR podcast and they had this author on talking about concrete examples of why representation matters and that seeing people in media signal to people that this is of what's possible in their lives. So that when Brave and Hunger Games came out, there was an overall increase in people taking up archery. Mm -hmm. And it was like over 100% increase from women specifically because for the first time, while boys had like Robin Hood and whatever, that women saw other women with bows and arrows and were like, oh, I can do that? Okay, you know, totally. I'm going to take archery classes. Like, these aren't just like movies. This stuff changes people's lives. And it's so important to tell these stories for any type of marginalized group. I know this conversation was focused a lot on on women. But then you think about the trans gays or non-binary gays or how that's represented, if it is represented, and how their portrayals are, are treated. And there's a long way to go. And so many stories to be told so stop making (laughs) spider-man i mean unless spider-man is non-binary next time (laughs) spider-man which they should be (laughs) all right
2: (laughs) trans superheroes now
3: (laughs) yeah
1: stop making all the cis male stuff we need to see more yes give us i didn't particularly love wonder woman but i know it's important Yeah, I didn't love Atomic Blonde, but it's important still.
3: I saw Wonder Woman. I didn't see Atomic Blonde, but I did see Birds of Prey, and I saw it with my wife, who hadn't seen Wonder Woman, and I remember the feeling walking out of Wonder Woman being like, whoa, like, really, like, amped up and psych especially when she like comes out of the bunker and just <laughs> fucking running through the the battlefield and I almost like stood up and just screamed at the I mean I, I was in a theater that was mostly women and people were s- literally Same. screaming at those screen yeah in excitement and after we got out of Birds of Prey Cecilia looked at me and she's like <gasps> is this what men feel like when they watch superhero movies? Because (laughs) I am ready to mess shit up. (laughs) She was like so amped about it. It was very cute. Um, Well, I think that's where we have to wrap up our discussion, but I would like to have you back sometime because you are just full of great information and perspective. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I am enjoying this. At least maybe we can hang out sometime.
2: (laughs) Sure. (laughs) This was all like a ruse to be friends.
3: It is a ruse to friends
1: with you yeah I thank you for said. seeking me out i this was a really interesting invitation because i had heard of the podcast before but yeah you know i get i don't know I, I don't know who you know who knows my work or who because there's a lot of people who don't like me so you know you just never know you know where you end up and i appreciate you having me on this is like one of the i think this is only the second queer focused podcast i've been on because i was on the Gay ritz before oh okay and we were talking about portrait i seem to be like the go-to
3: person for that i'm gonna listen to that too i love it we have a listener question that we do need to get to this week's listener question comes from our patreon and
2: as you know if you are a patron your questions get expedited to the top of the list so let's dive into this week's and it goes like this i have an amazing girlfriend she is endlessly loving supportive and has a whole host of admirable qualities Our relationship is healthy, communication is strong, and we are actively building a life together beyond anything I'd envisioned.
3: Cecilia, did you send this in and pretend to be a
2: patron? (laughs) Busted. (laughs) Um, Despite every sign pointing happily in the direction of how did I get so lucky, lately I haven't been able to stop thinking about a girl I went out with a couple of times when I was first coming out three years ago. I was still dating a guy at the time and was open with all parties but I didn't give her a fair shot having not been fully comfortable in my identity I still follow her on social media parentheses at one point I stopped because seeing her incites too many feelings but I ended up sending another follow request she started dating someone shortly after and has been with them ever since I cannot seem to let this blip in the past go Am I putting feelings on the person who first modeled what my cute queer life could be? Am I sabotaging my relationship? Is it just sexual attraction, plain and simple, a crush? It's consuming. An itch I can't scratch. And the more I suppress it, the deeper the burn. Whoa.
3: It's all those things. Yeah, ding, ding, ding.
2: (laughs) Now, listen, as Caroline Wowzers. and I both try to talk about this, knowing our girlfriends listen to the podcast. <laughs>
3: <laughs>
1: well, I don't have a girlfriend, so.
2: Maybe. Yeah,
3: take it. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You get first dibs on this one. Wowzers. Um, <laughs> you know what?
1: What helps me out is like when I have crushes on people and I want the crushes to go away. I just tell the person. And for some reason it vanishes. Not that that'll work for everyone, but maybe right Especially
3: it, if you're in a relationship. Especially if no, you're that's probably not right. a good idea. That's not a good idea. That's a good person idea. you have a crush on. Um, so you're like, hey, but yeah. that's a
1: good general tip. But, but since you're in a relationship, I don't know if this is the best advice, but you need closure and you need to find out what that closure is going to be for you so that you can, you know, survive in the current relationship you have now, because God forbid you may mess that up and then you'll, have another thing on your conscience um and that's not what you need so find out what that closure would be for you um whether it's emailing i really because I, it's hard to say that you know oh, contacting her and letting her know how you felt just to be able to let it go because i'm all for don't repress the feelings just let them flow and they will go that's what i learned in therapy yeah <laughs> but I know that it's not going to work for everybody. And again, you're in a relationship. I would start with getting closure to that situation. If closure is what you want and figuring out what that's going to look like.
3: Yeah. I think that's, that's great advice. I think that this is something that I've actually dealt with in past relationships where I like, if you go back to the time when you were first coming out and, you know, things were messy and sometimes things ended and may have ended in a very like unresolved way for for whatever reason that i used to be very focused on people that i hooked up with in college Or somebody uh, that I briefly, briefly dated and it didn't work out. And I would hold on, like, not being able to stop thinking about these people and thinking about like what maybe could have been. And I think part of that is nostalgia. I think all of us suffer from like a little bit of being nostalgic for a time in our lives, especially when you feel that you're in something good and everything is, like, settled, sometimes you're nostalgic for the messy, you know? Sometimes that that can happen. Like, I think... Your relationship sounds fantastic and it sounds great. And I think this really has to do with something else. And it's not about this person you're focused on. right? Mm -hmm. So you're not missing out on anything with this person because it's not about this person. This is about... (laughs) This is a you thing. This is a you thing. This is a you thing. Maybe you have like past regrets or, or something. But I know like specifically for me, one of the people who I used to think about a lot in my past relationship. And I would always feel shitty about it because I'm like, why am I thinking about this person? And it was because I never let myself have closure. And and in that case, I could have probably talked to the person and found that closure and had a conversation, but they're married and I was married and I didn't want to have that discussion, but I just kind of like found a way to have closure in my mind and talk myself through it because I was the one who always after it ended, left the door open of that. I was always willing, like, well, if something ever, if the circumstances were ever right again, I'd be open to this. And it was just a matter of me, like closing that door and being like, none of this is rooted in reality. None of this is rooted in my life right now. This is all like nostalgia for a time and a moment that I just should appreciate that for for what it was. And I closed the door on it and then it went away and I stopped thinking about it and I stopped like obsessing over it and it felt really good. Another thing that you can do, and Melody, I'll let you <laughs> talk in a second. I feel like oh, I'm no. saying a
2: lot, but... I'm learning a lot. I self-sabotage and I've never been capable... I have intimacy issues and I shut people out right away, so... I don't have any communication or follow anyone (laughs) that I've ever been with in the past. So I'm learning.
3: Well, I was going to say too, sometimes it depends on like who you're with and how great your communication really is. But sometimes telling the person that you're with and talking about it and being like, Hey, you know, I'm having these feelings that are really annoying me and I don't know why. And I don't want to have them. And I feel like, part of why you could obsess about them is because it feels like a secret right now. And then if all of a sudden it's, like, not a secret and you're talking about it and you let this person you're with know and let them know that this woman you're obsessing about isn't a threat and it's just something you're trying to to process, sometimes it helps to, like, process with other people. And if you feel like your partner is someone you can process that with, yeah, um, I think... It could be good. It could be bad. It depends on, you know, the the circumstance. But that can help kind of take the power away from exactly. this thought. Yeah, yeah, I think that
2: is a good idea because Allie and I do that, too, sometimes. Yeah. Like if there's a comic, I'm like, I know you think she's cute. Like, yeah, you can just say it like, because <laughs> I just want to, like, get it out there. And usually we feel so much better and we'll like joke about it and it doesn't
1: affect our relationship. In any way. Because ambiguity scares a lot of people. Yeah. You know what I mean? And what you don't know is like the things in the shadows, and that's what people fear. Yeah. So maybe, you know, I like that advice. It's best to get it out in the open because it gives it less power. And that's why I do it.
2: Yeah. Because the more I hold it in, the more power it has. Yeah, secrets can drive you crazy. But may I also suggest muting the person for the time being? That's the
3: other thing (laughs) I know. As soon as you said that you had muted them, I was good. And then it was like, and then I stopped and I'm like, no, no, no. Keep on following. Yeah. You can
2: mute and unmute whenever you want. Like, so they don't know that you unfollowed them. So you don't have to follow them back. You could just mute while you sort through these feelings. And then once you're ready to unmute them, like they won't know. Yeah. If you choose to go down the route of not talking to them about it, of course.
3: Yeah. And also like reassure yourself that you sound like you're in a amazing relationship and those are rare. Right. Uh so rare. always remind yourself and uh you know, even write down like gratitude for the things that you have in your life. And Melody and I both do best self journals yes. and every day you write what you're grateful for and Every morning and night, I am grateful for my wife and it does help to, you know, constantly be grateful for my wife. I think that that helps make our relationship work is that we are constantly aware of how grateful we are for each other and it goes a long way. So very happy for you that you're in a great relationship and good luck with this. If you have any more questions, you can email us at at gmail.com and we'll answer them. Valerie, thank you so much. How can people find you online or follow you? Is Um, Twitter the the
1: best place? No, I got a couple of places. Um, Great. Valerie Complex on Twitter. It's all one word. Valerie, V A L E R I E, Complex. And on Instagram, I'm Valerie underscore Complex. And my website, which is valeriecomplex.com, which is currently under construction, but should be going, should be popping by the middle of the month. Great. So check back for updates.
3: And you're working on a graphic novel right now?
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I'm with the. I don't want to say the agency, but sure. uh, not right now. But I'm working on a graphic novel.
3: Well, when that comes out, you have to let us know so we can let everybody know it's a western. About it.
1: One of the protagonists is a queer woman.
3: Ooh. You know, it's funny. I know somebody else who not writing a, a graphic novel, but is also working on like a queer western. Is it because of Lil Nas? No, no, I'm just <laughs> <laughs> Lil <Nas>. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say Winona Earp. Oh. <laughs> no, which I tried watching Winona. Winona Earp, and I couldn't even get through the pilot. It is so bad, and I know I just like hurt a lot of people's feelings. And if you love it, I'm so happy for you that you can love it. The show has a lot of problems. Oh my gosh, I, I couldn't get through the pilot. I'm just like, this is, and I'm sure I'll get a lot of messages that are like, stick with it. Just I maybe I'll watch it on YouTube for the girl and girl stuff, but <laughs> but I can't oh, no. imagine Definitely sitting not through the because rest of
1: Winona Earp. It's just the genre. No, no, I didn't think it was. Yeah, I was yeah just, saying, just to make no. it clear.
3: I I was kidding. <laughs> you Hell no. You don't strike me as an erper
1: <laughs> We'll talk about that offline.
3: <laughs> yes. Uh, man. All right. And you can follow me personally at TGI Carolyn. And for me, that's Melody Kamali if you're nasty. And you can, <laughs> love it, uh, you can follow us at Diking Out on everywhere. And as an important reminder, if you haven't stopped listening already, please go to patreon.com slash out. That's where we have content that gets cut for time. That's where we have our off topic episodes. That's where you can get enamel pins, tattoos. We're working on getting more merch. If you're not able to give us money every month on Patreon there are other ways so in the show notes of this there is a link to our PayPal you can PayPal us at Diking Out and support us just thinking of it like buying us a drink we hang out all the time once a week so buy us a virtual drink through PayPal and support us because we are trying to do more travel and make more content and create more merch and all of that takes time and time is money and it also takes money yeah. which is also money so <laughs> 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 thank you for all of your support thanks for dyking out with us this week and dike out with us again soon bye Bye-bye. bye bye bye